Thank you again, Neve and Carl. I'll just take some time for Carl to enter the stage. Meanwhile, I'll say we have time for a Q&A, which is fantastic. And I know that you will have questions, but remember that they end with a question mark and whenever you ask, start with your name. But I would like to ask the first question. And I think your talks, of course, intertwine and are entangled, um, both between each other, but also between what we have seen um, at the conference, both yesterday and today, right? So you have Casey, which talks about the importance of endings. We also have the whole entangled economies conversation here on this stage yesterday, of sort of like this, what happens when we keep focusing on growth, but we actually kind of forget about what is the finity of things, right? Which I also guess is very much present in your talk. So there are a lot of cues to pick up on, but I want to kind of go very straight to you, Carl, because what actually happens, let's say, if it would happen that Facebook suddenly would no longer exist. I mean, it's a private company. There's a sort of like a history of social media companies no longer existing. Like what happens with that data? Where does it actually go or who does it belong to? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the question I, uh, the most common question I get whenever I present those two graphs of Facebook's growth of uh, uh, deceased profiles. And people always go like, well, how do you know Facebook is going to be around for another 40, 50 years? And my response is always, well, isn't it going to be so much more interesting if they actually aren't around? What's going to happen to all of that data if Facebook all of a sudden uh, goes bankrupt? So a colleague and I did a study on this a couple of years back to investigate the legal and ethical implications of um, a big tech failure. And the scary answer is that no one seems to really have thought about this. Uh, tech is very focused on either the next four or five years was going to be the next big technological leap, or it's focused on this ridiculous far into the future sci-fi, what, what's AI going to be in 200 years? But these kind of questions of what's going to be the big thing in 20 years that we need to pre pre prepare for is kind of forgotten. So as it currently stands, what would happen if a company like Facebook would go bust is basically that all of the data, everything that you've written, everything that you've done on Facebook is going to be up for sales. And for uh, members of the European Union, we are somewhat protected in that it can only be bought by a company operating within the same industry. So like Russian Vkontakte or uh, something like uh, uh, WeChat could buy it, uh, but not Tesla. And I don't, for me personally, that doesn't feel super ensuring. Uh, but, for, and, but for the millions and potentially billions of deceased profiles, that is regulated by zero framework, that anyone can do whatever they want with that data. The GDPR explicitly states that the dead people do not have any rights. And you may not care about this because you're not dead, but consider the fact that one day your parents will be dead, all of those close to you will be. So if a company lacks data about you, they may well go on to purchase data about all the people related to you, provided they are dead, and then analyze you by proxy. So we're kind of all in this together. What happens to the data of the dead and what happens to these insolvent companies, it's, it should be a concern for everyone. So we are not in control of our fantasy once we're dead, probably. Yeah. 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 Cool. 
Any questions from the audience? If you have a question, you can raise your hand and we have Alexandra over here who has a microphone who will bring it. It can be a question to any of the speakers. Yeah, we have over here in the very side. It's a very nice, honorable walk, right? <laughs> And if you could say your first name and then the question with a question mark. Hi, Matilda, a social media specialist. So amazing talks. Uh, question about legislation. I feel that legislation is like 500 years behind <laughs> the technology. What are your thoughts, feelings about the legislation in this area? Will it ever be able to keep up? What are we doing to keep up? Yes, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Uh, sorry, was that a question for both or? You can make yeah. both ends for it. <laughs> Do you want to ask that? Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I agree, legislation is very behind. Uh, one thing that I was actually thinking during your talk was about the, the right to be forgotten mm. um, and how that relates to machine learning models where, you know, somewhere in their memory banks, there's some data points that are really opaque. It's really hard to apply a right to be forgotten if I make a request to Google or to Facebook to remove data about myself. They could probably remove it from the indexes of social networks and from like Google search, but could they actually eradicate that data point from all the machine learning models that have been trained on that data from like from, you know, the beginning of the last few years? The answer is probably not, though there is funnily enough a similarly named uh, area of research to my talk called machine unlearning, which is more about like the effort that goes into eradicating data points from machine learning models. Um, it's quite new and a lot of people have been liking it to the right to be forgotten. It's not legislated yet. Um, I think large tech companies are still able to say that it's prohibitive for them to be able to do this, um, and governments likely will just bend over um, when hearing that. But you know, I think that legislation needs to be stronger for sure and coincide with new uh, types of technology like machine and learning. Mm -hmm. I suppose I have two responses to that question. The first is that the current paradigm of data privacy is very individualistic in focus. So privacy is more or less considered a, a private good that I can enjoy as a subject, um, which means that we're going to get the privacy laws that we lobby and advocate for. Uh, and unfortunately, dead people aren't very strong lobbyists. Uh, they don't really have anyone in, uh, in the European Parliament speaking for them. Um, the second thing that I would say about legislation is that it's, it's, it's a wicked problem of how to solve this. There isn't really any good way of, um, or rather, there isn't any way to protect posthumous privacy without someone getting hurt. So, for instance, a lot of people have been arguing that uh, the data of a dead person should be controlled by their, by their family, for instance. But we all know that there are plenty of families who should not be in possession of their, their children's data, for instance. Uh, there are examples uh, from, from the US where queer people have died, their parents get access to their Facebook accounts or whatever social media, basically erasing any sign of this person being queer. Um, and we wouldn't want that to happen. Uh, on the other hand, we can't give this completely to the hands of the industry either. And we don't want some intergovernmental organization that just owns all of history because that would be too much of a concentration of power. So before we start legislating, at least with hard legislation, I think we should do 
a long, hard think about uh, where we want to take this. But also the right to forgotten doesn't extend into our death, right? It, it does not. Well, like It's while we are alive. And then, exactly. Yeah, okay. Another question. We have another question up here for Monica. Hey, this was awesome. We should more often say, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to precise one thing, actually, and then I'll have a question. Um, some dead people are really good lobbyists, and these happen to be rich dead people. Mm. You know, one year, uh, dead people in UK gave more money to the Tories than the living. <laughs> so like not only that like old people are screwing up the future for the young, <laughs> but dead people screwing up the future for the unborn. Side note. Um, so leaving the depressing part, um, what would be your protopian hopeful imagination for how these things should be? Like if we close our eyes and imagine how this should be, how you'd like to imagine, tell me that narrative. Mm. Do you want to? <laughs> 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 um, do you want to say anything positive? <laughs> I mean, for me, I think um, a need to stop deifying AI and like accepting that machine forgetting is something that happens. Accepting that there's a mess in between the really nice shiny surface of OpenAI's chat boxes, um, and accept that things are going to be incorrect, things are going to be biased, and that. We shouldn't necessarily um, treat AI as any sort of silver bullet. So I think internalizing that across as much as of humanity as possible and having examples of where models are bad, where models gaslight users, where models um, insert fake memories, uh, I think ensuring that that knowledge is distributed to me is like a gateway to uh, like more respect among one another as opposed to more respect between us and technology. Mm. Do you have something to say, Khan? I mean, for, for me, what it ultimately, I, I don't know to what extent this, this answers the question, but like, what, what's my vision for what we, for a bright future? Uh, my general position on, on this is that we're talking too much about the technological systems and too little about the economic systems. So I think that it's very easy for uh, industry and uh, I mean, you mentioned the, the capitalists donating to, to Tories. Uh, it's very easy for them to hide behind a discussion about the technology. We always talk about AI ethics and like, how can we make AI just and abide by all of these beautiful principles? Uh, like one common example is um, in, uh, in Denmark recently, they used an AI system to track down welfare cheaters. Uh, and of course, like this is basically building a surveillance system for poor people. And we talk about how can we make that AI just and not discriminating people. And I'm like, like I, I don't care if the company exploiting me or denying me a loan or whatever employs a just algorithm doing that. As long as the economic system within which that algorithm is employed is fundamentally unjust and intransparent, but w how does that matter? Uh, so what I'm hoping to see is more discussion about the economic principles and less about the technology, because I think it's hiding behind that. And so to take this back to the conversation about the past and, and the dead and data, I think the same applies here. We talk about like, 
what would be a just way of making this uh, industry behemoth own all of our data? Like, how should this uh, supposedly benevolent dictator of the internet behave? And my answer would be like, well, maybe there shouldn't be a giant behemoth that decides everything about the world. Uh, and we need to do something about that rather than talking about which principles those giant behemoths should abide by. Yeah, thank you. Great, we have more questions, that's really wonderful. Um, we will distribute a little bit in the room, so we will go over here. Um, Alexandra, there in the middle. Thank you. So I have um, a question. I mean, I was thinking about your answer to the previous question, Neef, uh, and I was, because it seems to me, and I was thinking about that during the last keynote as well, that, I mean, if you're right that these systems, these AIs are inherently fallible, will it be possible to at all design systems that are just design justice? That was the talk of the keynote, or is that an oxymoron? in itself. Uh, and then my suggestion to Carl is that since it seems data protection is impossible given the complexities, maybe we should have a system where we all can capitalize on our data and maybe the data should go into some kind of public system like a tax or something. Just a suggestion. Yeah, so I guess to answer the first part of, of what you said, I mean, I, I, I'm typically quite a pessimist when it comes to technology. so. My, my initial reaction is that probably, no, there's no way to create AI that is just. Thinking about it a little bit more, you know, I'm sure that there's some quite interesting transformative methodologies with like fractional models. I know some people are creating like very small micro like focus models to meet specific purposes and maybe having like a committee of those alongside human oversight. I, I'm aware of a few experiments trying to do things like this, um, but really that's still very much like ensuring that the power stays in communities and with humans. Um, just on that, we will, just a little teaser, the final session today, we have one speaker, Carter, she's also here, who will show a little bit of how AI can be used for inclusivity and just, anyway, I just wanted okay. to tease so you can come again at the <laughs> final session. That was also a question for Carl. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not sure what you mean about, uh, like we should each capitalize on, on the data of, of the past. <laughs> yes, so I'm not so concerned really about um, how resources are distributed, but rather about how they're produced. Um, I think that like if we would use the word capitalize in a much broader sense, like to capitalize on something is uh, inherently to treat it only as a thing. Um, and I think that dead people are more than things, they are uh, human things, albeit not uh, alive human things. Um, but I do think that it would be worthwhile exploring a path where let's say that some big tech companies are saying, look, we have way too much data that we can't really, really use for any economic or commercial purpose, but we realize the, the historical value of these data. If there would be a simple way to donate data from the past to a public repository that researchers could use, 
I think that would be a great solution. It wouldn't be a solution, but it would be a step in the right direction. Unfortunately, we're seeing the very opposite of that. Researchers used to have great access to the Twitter API, API uh, and before Musk took over, uh, like we could actually do great historical research on Twitter. Uh, now all of that is closed down, all of that is shut down. So we're increasingly seeing a concentration of historical resources to a limited amount of individuals, uh, where we seem to be saying as a society, oh, you wanna like exploit people's data and like use it to manipulate them to buy things they don't need, go ahead. But do you want to do research on it for the betterment of society? No way. You need to file a million ethics applications in order to go ahead and do that. And I found that, find that very uh, counterintuitive. Thank you. I will end the Q&A here um, saying that we actually continue, I will say, very much this conversation in the two next sessions. In here, we will focus on the human role in the age of AI, it's called Humanity Amplified. And then next door, we'll look into the tools of like designing for inclusive and equity. But I have one question I just wanted to ask because it kind of like, we went in a different direction. And I think something in Eve's talk that I would just like to kind of ask him is that you kind of present that with industrialization, there came this, this chronological idea of time where we like clock in because we have to coordination. We probably also have the train stations that need to arrive and not crash. Uh, and now you're kind of introducing computer time. Um, do you imagine like it's gonna be a replacement of like, let's say natural time with the moons and you have like industrial time with the factories and then you have like a computer time or how are we gonna feel this time? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think like to answer the question simply, I don't think it's gonna replace like any other types of time, I guess. Um, I guess it's an extra dimension of this socialization. And I'm really happy that you mentioned nature as well, because one of the things that I didn't refer to, I spoke about the socialization of time um, and how that each of us affects one another's perception of time. But obviously, nature has such a big part to play in that. I mean, the original uh, timekeeping was, you know, Mother Nature, the, you know, the, the sun, the seasons. Um, that's not gone away. I think we're just building and increasing the size of this portfolio of measures of time that, that we have. Um, so I think it won't replace, it'll be additive. Um, whether or not for better or worse, I'm, I couldn't say. We will live in many times and in the now. Thank you. Now is lunch. <laughs>